Good morning. My name is Kelsey. We are reading today from Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. That's on page 971 of the Bibles in front of you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Good morning, everyone. Uh, let me tell you, it is great to be back in church, having uh, been watching online for a number of weeks, and I'm very thankful for the uh, tech team who puts it up. Uh, gave me a new appreciation. Uh, and it's also worth noting, just with our mission partners, with Mark Collins, he's going to be here in a fortnight. He definitely wanted to come back and say farewell, and thank you for all the support. So we will get an opportunity to see him and thank him and hear the latest story before they set off into the horizon under the steam of God by themselves. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that we can be here today and as we continue this journey through the Sermon on the Mount, give us hearts that are soft and ears that want to hear and wills that wish to do what you say. And Father, particularly as we think about this vexed topic of finance and money, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, there was a young preacher who their church was not meeting budget and he thought, gee, we really need to get some more money in and what he decided to do was he thought he would turn up on Wednesday mornings early to work and spend some time praying to God. And as he was praying the first day, he asked God, look, just a random question, how long is 10 million years to you, Lord? And this reply came, oh, it's one second. Anyway, the next week he comes back and he's praying and praying and he says, look, I've got just another random question, Lord. Um, how much is $10 million to you, Lord? And the answer comes back, it's just a dollar. And then the third week, he comes back and he plucks up the courage and he says, look, I've got another random question. Um, God, can I have one of your dollars? <laughs> and God answered him, sure thing. Just wait a second. <laughs> Today I am going to be speaking on money. And I know when money, ministers speak on money... I think it's easy for people as you're sitting there just to assume he just wants more money for the church and given the finance report last week, that's an understandable response. We do need more money to cover the budget. We are seeking to raise money for mission partners and I'm confident we can solve both of them here in terms of the capacity here at St Matthews. But that's not the key reason why I'm speaking today. I'm speaking today on money because it's part of what Jesus wants to say to us in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus spoke a lot about money in the Gospels and this is one section of many sections that you will see him speak about money. And I need to hear what he has to say about money 
And I want to say, just as all of us need to, because as we prayed just now, we live in such a materialistic age that is addicted to finance and spending and consumption. And we need to hear what he has to say to us so that we can be faithful as disciples and followers of Jesus here in this world. But before I start, I do want to say something by way of acknowledgement. One of the things I love about this church is the diversity of it. And that's always been the case here at St Matthews. I think it's partly to do with the demographic in Manly. And it's particularly the case when it comes to matters relating to money. I'm very conscious as I speak across four congregations today that I'm going to be teaching people from young teenagers right through to the elderly. We had uh, our morning service with many of the elderly who come, but we've got many who come later on during the day. And I know that there's a great range, just not in age, but also financial capacity. There'll be people here earning way north of half a million dollars across the day. And they may well be sitting next to someone who's on welfare. There'll be students who are, for the first time, putting money into a bank account, wondering what they will do with it. I know we've also got single mothers who are struggling just to keep their families' heads above water. With rising interest rates and inflation going north, I know there's significant pressures on people with mortgages. And some are in houses that are paid off, while others are struggling to work out how they will react to the rising interest rates. We have others who live in government housing here. And so there are some who may be cruising, while there'll be others who are struggling. And I think the temptation is for some of us, maybe many of us, to think, oh, actually, this talk is probably for someone else today. <laughs> I can think of someone who needs to hear this talk. Well, if that's you, I want to urge you to resist that feeling. Let me say, it's easy for me to think, oh, this is just for the church. <laughs> it's not for me. It's absolutely for me. Jesus' wisdom on money and giving is actually for everyone, no matter what circumstances or situation that you're in, no matter what wealth or lack thereof you've got. Because regardless of whether we've got a little or a lot, we all need to learn to be faithful followers of Jesus with our finances. And let me just say, for the parents here, I would absolutely encourage you to put giving into your practices with kids as young as you can, so that as they grow up, they just see being generous is part of life, with their money and their pocket money. Today we are looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. So if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to get it open. And um, we have skipped over verses 1 to 18. We're going to come back to that in a couple of weeks' time and couple it together with another section which has a similar theme because we had to somehow try and manage to fit it all in before Christmas and we've tried to take our time and so we've just jumped ahead slightly. We will come back though in two weeks' time. And what we're going to see here in this passage... Um, is Jesus' challenge to the materialism of his day, which, let me just say, has only gotten worse in our own day, okay? And it's fascinating, the issues that we grapple with, they're exactly the same back in Jesus' time. And when you read this, according to Jesus, there's only two possible ways of living. We can either trust in money and serve it, or have an ambition for the kingdom of heaven. 
And it's kind of a binary option that he gives us. And so as you go through, it's only a short number of verses, there's three questions which just kind of jumped off the page at me as I went through. And they're the three questions for myself, they're the three questions I want to bring to all of us. And the first one is this, where is your treasure? I think that's the first question Jesus wants to ask us today as we think about what he says here in this section on the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not hard to understand. It's a very clear command. Just don't do what he's saying. Don't store up treasures in heaven. And he gives a very simple explanation. Because at the end of the day, you can't take it with you. It's all going to disappear. It gets stolen. It rots. It, it, it just disappears. The philosophy that he who dies with the most toys and most experience wins is what he's critiquing here. He is critiquing consumerism, which we all know is rampant here in Australia and Manly. And he turns the motto on its head by saying that the one with the most toy loses. Why? Because the toys break, they fade, they're stolen and ultimately they get destroyed and we know we can't take them with us. And the heart of the issue is our heart. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what he's asking us is, what really is the thing that we most treasure in this world? What is it we really love? What brings us the greatest joy? Well, it's what we've got our hearts set on. And what he's saying is, store up treasures in heaven. The McCrindle Group are a fascinating group of social researchers headed by Mark McCrindle, the principal. They did a recent study looking at material consumption in Australia and this is what they found. Just like we all need food to eat, we all need to spend money to provide for our daily needs. But when emotion and comfort is attached to them, in other words the spending, you get emotion and comfort, eating and shopping become a habit that is relied on to feel good and combat feelings of stress and anxiety which as I think most of us know are, have been on the rise for many years. And so those who use food for this purpose are what are called comfort eaters, they feel better as they eat. Let me say I can relate to it, I love eating, it makes me feel better. And those who use materialism, in other words, the purchase of goods, are what are called comfort shoppers. There's this just sense of experience you have when you buy something new. And here's the numbers. Three in five Australians believe that the nation's consumption habits are having a negative impact on Australian society. So over half, but that doesn't seem to stop us because 48% still feel the need to buy new things. Now here's the scary stat that I heard. Red Cross are trying to find clothes for the people in the flood areas in New South Wales. And they have estimated that there is clothing that has not been worn for a minimum of 12 months in Australia to the value of $12 billion. Now, I've got to confirm that I was cooking last night and I saw the news and my jaw just dropped. And I reckon all of us would be part of that number. 
And I started thinking about all the clothes in my closet that I've not worn for 12 months. And they're saying, give it to the people in need. And if you can do that, great. That would be a great thing to do. But what struck me was just the unbridled consumption that we're addicted to. More than four in five Australians report feeling good when they buy something new. We call it retail therapy. And I don't think we're any different here in Manly. And against that backdrop, Jesus is saying we're to stop storing up treasures in heaven. Just don't do it. And he gives an alternative. In other words, a different way of treasuring. He says, store up riches in heaven. In other words, there is something worth living for. There is something you can invest in financially that actually has an eternal value. It's treasure in heaven. And you think, what are the things that will endure into eternity? It's actually pretty simple. It's people. We can't take our things with me, but we can take people with us into the kingdom of heaven. And I take it, he's saying, invest in that. And that's what you absolutely see through the New Testament, an investment in the gospel work to reach people with the gospel, to grow people in the gospel, to care for people in their needs and to send others out into the gospel field. There are riches that can't be lost, but they're in heaven. And that's what we're commanded to store up and to collect. I want us to stop and think, what's the underlying issue? Well, he says, it's where your heart is. And so ask yourself the question this day, what really is it that you treasure the most? Is it the things and experiences of this world or is it the kingdom of heaven to come, God and the growth of his gospel? Secondly, what is your vision? Jesus follows on from talking about our treasure with these words, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, why does Jesus move from talking about treasures to now talking about sight? Well, the argument is like this. The description is factual, but it's also, what I'd want to say, is metaphorical. In the Bible, the eye is the equivalent of the heart. There's a strong connection. What we want, we see. I mean, there's a beautiful verse in Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I might see, what? Wonderful things in your word. What we desire, we look for. It's the problem of advertising, is it? We see it (laughs) and we want it. Life and what we live for is all a question of vision. If we have physical vision, we can see where we're going and what we're doing. But if we've got spiritual vision and spiritual hearts, then our life is filled with purpose and drive because we look to see what God is doing and we want to be a part of it. And Jesus challenges this, if our vision becomes clouded and darkened by the false gods of materialism and unlimited experiences that you can have in this world, then we lose sense of our values and our life is plunged into darkness and we cannot see where we're going. As our eye affects our whole body, our ambition, where we fix our eyes and heart, will absolutely affect our whole life. 
So let me ask, what is the vision that you have for your life? Is it to serve God and to extend His kingdom and to bring His wonderful love, grace and truth to bear in people's lives? Because that's what Jesus calls us to do. Or is it to serve yourself and build your own kingdom? Now, do you know how you can tell the answer to Jesus' question about what your vision is and what your treasure is? It's very simple. Look at what you spend your money on. It's that simple. Let me tell you the story of a great old saint. Her name is Selina Hastings. I wonder who's heard of Selina Hastings? One person in the room. She's an amazing person, let me tell you. I thought I must share about her today. She was the Countess of Huntington. She lived in 18th century England during the time of the Great Evangelical Awakening and Revival. She had numerous reasons to complain in life. She married young and then gave birth to seven children in the first 10 years of marriage. Now that thought itself just kind of sends a shudder down my spine. Four of them died young. In the 18th year of her marriage, her husband had a vision at night of what he thought was an angel of death visiting him. He died two weeks later. And she was left as a widower with three kids. Now, thankfully, her husband was very wealthy and left the estate in her name. What would you do if you were Selena? Well, this is what she did. Not to be put off by the hardships she had lived through as a genuine Christian, she turned her energies to God and to the proclamation of the gospel. Who's heard of George Whitfield? He is the great preacher of the 18th century evangelical along with the Wesley brothers. Guess who supported Whitfield in his preaching? Selina, the Countess of Huntington. And he effectively was her private chaplain. She established him so that he could keep preaching as he was thrown out of churches and had to go and preach in the open air. Now, thousands upon thousands when they heard Whitfield came to faith. I mean, it was this national revival. And all these converts are now filling up and they weren't that welcome in the churches of the day. They didn't like what was happening. And so, you know what Selena said? She said, well, I'm going to build a church for these people. So she paid for and built a church. And she did it again and again and again and again. Do you know how many churches she paid for and built? 64. She also thought, you know what? We need to raise up a new generation of young preachers. So she paid for and built a Bible college to train them. It's an astounding story. Rather than storing up further riches on earth for herself, which I would imagine would have been absolutely the way of her peers, she was part of the aristocracy, she rather invested the wealth in gospel work in the country and stored up riches in heaven. The person who has written up her biography was asked, what was the driving passion and vision of her life? And they said this, it was a zeal for the salvation of her servants, her acquaintances, her family and the nobility of which she was a part of. And I share this to inspire us today. May we be a church that wants to store up riches in heaven and has a vision for the expansion of the gospel. 
Which leads me to the third question. Who is your master? What we've seen is there's two treasures to choose between, the material world or heavenly treasures. There's two visions for where we can fix our eyes, an earthly vision of consumption and experience or a kingdom vision of the growth of the gospel. What Jesus now says is this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think this verse is actually the foundation for the previous two questions. Your vision, your ambition. It's actually who runs your life? What is your master? And this is what Jesus is asking us here, who or what rules your life? And when you think about what Jesus says here, I think sometimes people confuse it and think, oh, he's talking about the language of an employer, not a master. And I actually work two jobs. <laughs> and I think you can have two employers. Can't I? No, that's not the language he's using here. He says, you cannot serve two masters. And that word came out of the slave trade. It spoke of a slave master. And with slavery in Jesus' day, there was single ownership and full-time service. That was the essence of slavery. You belong to them. And Jesus' point is this, if you divide your allegiance between God and money, money has already won your heart. God can only be served with an entire and exclusive devotion. And it's because God is God. He will have no other take his glory, particularly not money. And it's very important when it comes to money because a lot of Christians think that they can have divided loyalties. And look, I'd like to think it myself. <laughs> Let's be honest. Lord, you can have my praise. I'll put my hands up in church. I love you. You can have my time. I'll come down and serve in kids' ministry, soup kitchen, run a small group, you name it, youth group. Lord, I'll have, you can have my trust. I actually, I put my faith in Jesus. But please, Lord, please don't take my wallet. My old boss used to say, you know, the last thing to get converted in a person's life is their checkbook, their credit card, their wallet. And I think we think, Lord, you can have the rest, but look, this is my money. I need it. I earned it. What right do you have to take it away? And if that's you, I want you to listen to what Jesus is saying. No one can serve two masters. He's saying this for our own benefit, for our well-being. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll despise, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You've got to work out where your heart and treasure is, what your vision is. Is it for God and his kingdom? Because here's the thing. What he's saying is either money owns you, in other words, it controls you, and is your master, you are a slave to earning, saving, whatever it is, or God owns you. And the implication is he owns your money as well. You see, whatever we have is because of God's blessings on our lives. And we're to use it for his glory. 
And the only reason any of us have anything is because of God's blessing on our life. He's the one who's given it to you to steward. We're going to come to that. So let me ask this question, where is your heart? Is it for this world or is it for the world to come? Your vision, is it for the growth of God's kingdom? And who is in charge of your life? Is it God or is it your money? I want to stop and try and help us think positively and practically about how to be faithful as disciples based on what Jesus is saying here. And I've got three principles. I could give you more, but time permits. And the first thing is stewardship. And what you see here in verse 24 is that either you're owned by money or God owns you and your money. And the money I have in my bank account, my investments, my income, I don't have stocks, but if you've got stocks, all of it, it actually belongs to God. And what we are called to do is steward what he has blessed us with. And I've just got that verse up there, sorry. Um, and I want you to have a look at that Deuteronomy, verse 8, 18 says, but remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the wealth, the ability to produce wealth. And so the only reason that you have money is because God has blessed you. That's the biblical vision. That's the biblical truth. And so all I have, if I can speak personally, is from God. And so what I've got to do is steward that according to how God wants me to use it. It's not for me to say, no, this is mine, God, you can have that part of me. I'm to say, actually, this is your wealth, God, how do you want me to use it? It's the principle of stewardship. All I have is from God, I am a steward of what he's blessed me with. Secondly, the first fruits principle, which I think is super important, particularly today, as the pressure comes with rising interest rates and rising inflation. Because I think when Christians first start to think about money and giving, it goes like this. How much do I need to cost, cover the cost of living? First cost will typically be housing, rightly so, because we need a roof over our heads. And that may be a mortgage, it may be rental, it may be just be paying the social housing bill. And then because I've got a roof over my head, I've got to pay the bills. And look, these are right and good things and you need to account for them. And those who have children, they are super lovely, <laughs> super expensive. <laughs> we all know that. And then we think, oh, entertainment, you know, me fishing. And then we think about holidays. Where am I going to go? And then we think, I've got to put some money in the savings. Save for the future. And then we go, oh... What have I got left to give? What can I contribute to church, to our mission partners? And God comes last. And look at that verse on the screen. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. And this was the principle all through the Old Testament. God blessed them, and so the way you acknowledge that it has come from God is you give back to him first. You say, you've given it to me, I'm going to give it to you first and I'll look after my needs and the needs of others second. And it's a really important principle. You see, it doesn't matter how much you've got or not got, you just say, with what I've got, I'm going to give to you first and then I'll work out how I live on the rest and it goes hand in hand with contentment. We say, I'm going to give to you and be content with what I've got left. And so what we do, I give first, I don't ever see it, I live on what's left. We work it out, I work it out this time of year. 
and it's gone before I even notice it. <laughs> in fact, I never see it. It's gone. It's really helpful because I don't have to worry about it. I occasionally go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what can I buy with this? Just shut up, Bruce. <laughs> and then lastly, the principle of generosity. Actually, well, then what do you do with your money? How much should I give? It's a really important question to ask. If we're going to give to God first, how much does God instruct us to actually give then? I say start with 10% and then work your way up. And why do I say that? Because in the Old Testament, God's people were instructed to tithe. And tithing literally meant tenthing. And so when they had their crops, uh, their newborn animals, they would give one in ten of the animals. They would give 10% of the crop. And they would give it first back to the Lord to sustain the ministry, the spiritual ministry within Israel. And they would look after the Levites. What we discover in the New Testament is tithing falls away and is replaced by the principle of generosity. And I've got the verse up on the screen there from 1 Timothy. Paul instructed Timothy to command, it's interesting the language, the people of Ephesus to do good, command them to do good, command them to be rich in good deeds and I want you to command them to be generous and willing to share. So sometimes people go, oh I'm off the hook of tithing. And I say, so hang on, so we know more about God than what people in the Old Testament did. We have complete assurance because of the resurrection of Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins. We know where we're going to heaven. How does generosity equal less than what the Old Testament people were asked to do? Now, if you can explain that to me, please do. I can't. (laughs) We are so blessed in Christ. One of the things I did in COVID... And I'm going to read a blessing every day. And I was reading through Ephesians 1. As I was feeling tired and lousy, I thought, I'm just going to claim this because I am spiritually blessed. And there we have so many blessings in Christ. I just want to be generous so that the message and love of Christ goes to the world. If we know the certainty of the hope of the gospel through the coming of Jesus and all he's done, then generosity surely can't be less than a tithe or 10%. And so we take the first 10%, I was just calculating it the other day because I'm getting ready for next year and uh, I'm going to up by 10% what we're giving because that was one of the calls from Tim last week and I thought, yep, I need to lead from the front. And we're going to give 10% over and above um, to um, the mission of the church here. And I give first here because that is the principle in the New Testament, you give to the place that spiritually feeds you. And sometimes people think, oh, so Matthews doesn't need money, it's... um, got all this property well the reality is we actually need everyone to contribute to enable the ministry to go forward and as we heard last week we're actually behind but I don't want to stop there I want to give to our mission partners and I'll be giving a few thousand dollars to them as well because I want to be part of that mission it's so exciting hearing that Mars and Park is now up and running and that we get to partner with a new organization a new church that's going to start and then above that I want to give to other people in need I want to give to um compassionate causes I've given in the past to IJM they're a great ministry uh, rescuing sex trafficked people Anglicare with uh, domestic violence rescue for women all sorts of great things that you can be a part of and I want us to be giving not just here but all sorts of places but for me it starts with tithing and then going above and beyond that as we're able to while we look after our needs and let me just put it this way And if it means I go without what others might have, so what? 
Kath and I were looking at doing some overseas travel next year and we just worked out, I don't know if we can afford it. And we just went, you know what? It's okay. Lots of good places on the central coast and mid-north coast to go and visit. I want to finish with a true story about a friend called Mark. He was a single dad. He had been an alcoholic and he'd gone to AA and got on top of that and, been, and has been dry for decades. But his wife had left him. He came to church and came to faith. He rang me and came in to see me. I thought, oh, Mark, good to see you. What's, what's up? He said, actually, I'm in debt for $90,000. I said, what's happened? He said, the poker machine's at Star Casino. His life was at an incredibly low ebb as a fairly new Christian. And he spoke about getting honest and confessing and getting professional help and he joined Gamblers Anonymous. And then he asked me about tithing because he'd heard about it. And I'm sitting there looking at Mark. This is a true story. And I'm thinking to myself, if ever there's a person you say, nah, don't worry about it, Mark. <laughs> Look after that later. Just pay your bills. Mark was the guy. And some people say to me, I have no money. Well, this guy had no money and then some. He was in debt for 90K and had to declare himself bankrupt. And I looked at Mark and I just said gently, I said, I know this sounds crazy, Mark, but if you want God to be protecting and providing for you, because that is the promise of God, as we trust him with our finances and give generously, and there's so many promises that say that, I said, if you want God to protect and provide for you, you need to honour him in this area of your life. And he did. And I remember speaking to him three years after the event. And I rang him. And I said, Mark, I'm just curious, how are things going? Are you still tithing? Do you know what he said to me? He said, God has changed my life remarkably. And I am still tithing. And God had blessed him enormously and for the first time in his life he was in a sound financial position because he put God first and he made God his master. Do you know what he finished to end up doing? At the age of 50 he went to Bible college and became a minister because he felt so blessed. And so I encourage you Steward responsibly and faithfully all that God has given you. Follow the first, prince, first fruits principle and give first to God. And then think about your own needs. And be generous. Start at 10% and work up. Because why? We want to invest in things that last forever and have treasures in heaven. And I encourage you to take these cards, fill them in and bring them back. You can put them in the box, give them to a staff member or bring them into the office. My prayer has always been that we will be an incredibly generous church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love that you shower on us in Christ. May we conquer the love of money. May we be faithful stewards who are generous to the work of the gospel, the work of mission,
to the needs of people. And may we be content with what you've given us, whether it is little or whether it's much. In Jesus' name, amen.